0: That's our text this morning. We're continuing on in the book of James, and we're finally here at the end of January, finishing chapter one. Okay? <clears throat> know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness What he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father, is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This passage mentions the word several times, the word of God, the Bible. So let let me by way of introduction before we get into the text itself, just talk generally about the Bible. Bibles are everywhere. Everywhere. The Bible is the best selling book in history, according to Barna Research. About 90 percent of American homes have a Bible and 80 percent have two Bibles. 13 percent have three Bibles. I counted and I have about 25 Bibles of various translations. I'm a big fan of the Bible. A hundred million Bibles are printed every year. They've been translated into over 700 languages, the whole Bible and just the New Testament into fifteen hundred and fifty more languages. The Bible is the most stolen book, according to bookstores, and more books have been written based on the Bible than any other book. As a young boy, we had a coffee table, the family Bible, one of those big, giant Bibles, right? And I had my feet up on the coffee table and I moved my feet over and had my feet on the Bible on the coffee table. Remember vividly, my dad walked in the room. He saw my feet on the Bible. He angrily moved faster than he's ever moved before and knocked my feet off and very sternly got in my face. Don't let me ever see you do that again. Wow, that made a real deep impression on me that this was no ordinary book. This was God's word and you don't treat it like that. The oldest writings date to about 3400 B.C. in Mesopotamia. Before written words, you had hieroglyphics, pictures, you know, in the caves, the drawings that predates writing. Before that, you had oral tradition stories that were passed down generations. We still have that today. For instance, we're going to do a little exercise now and you can help me. I'm going to recite a couple nursery rhymes if I remember them and not choke on the spot here. Let's do and you can see them out loud with me. Humpty Dumpty, okay? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty back together again. Something like that, right? Huh? Okay, let's do let's do another one. Let's do Mary had a little lamb. Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. And let's finish up with Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. Okay, as I looked out there, I saw a lot of mouths moving. I saw some that were shut, you know, like I don't know these nursery rhymes, where did this come from? So let me ask a question to those of you who were speaking. Did you read those three nursery rhymes today or earlier last week or, no, you didn't read them right? But you remember them, right? Oral tradition. You maybe never read those in a book. You know, by your eyes reading it, but you heard it read to you, and you remembered it, and all these years later, you're able to recite that. That's the power of oral tradition. Genesis 1 through 11 is a good example of oral tradition. Those events, historical events, happened before there was writing. So those were stories that were passed down through the generations until they were written down in uh, the book of Genesis. OK. No original manuscripts exist. So that would seem to be a real problem. But it isn't because of the meticulous copying of the monks and scribes who would take the text or a letter of James or Paul and copy it very exactly. It was a real science the way they did it. And they did an excellent job. Now, for them, newer was better. So they would receive a copy. I can't imagine receiving the original letter from Paul and copying it and then destroying it. But that's what they did. That was just how it worked for us. Older is better. It's an antique. You preserve it. But that wasn't their thinking. Newer is better. It'll last longer. Older things are falling apart. So they would copy very carefully. And they made lots of copies. We have over 25,000 copies. Complete and partial manuscripts of the New Testament. Here is my copy of my Greek New Testament that we used in seminary. The Nestle and Allen 26th edition. I believe they have a 28th edition now. So what would happen is scholars would take all of those 25,000 complete manuscripts or partial manuscripts and put them side by side and look at them and study them and compare them. And there would be some differences, obviously. There's some variance in the text. But as they... Studied them, they would find we're 99.99% sure this was what the original was when we compare all these manuscripts. So we can know with certainty that as we're reading our Bible, we're reading the word of God and not it's not full of errors and mistakes and myths. So compare that 25,000 New Testament with the second most attested work in antiquity, Homer's Iliad. Only 643 copies of that have ever been found versus twenty five thousand. No one questions Homer's Iliad, but people question the scripture. It's silly. Then we had the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. Before that, we had the Masoretic text from the Old Testament. The oldest copy was about a thousand A.D., The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls moved that all the way back to about 200 B.C., so much closer to the time of the original writings of the Old Testament. But you know what they discovered? That the Masoretic texts and the Dead Sea Scrolls were almost exactly the same. That's an astonishing thing that for a thousand years, two thousand years, the Jewish scribes copied it so perfectly they had a system that made it foolproof. It's astounding, the accuracy of the word of God, our oldest books, the book of books of Moses, first five books of the Bible, the New Testament, the book of Revelation, the last one written ninety five A.D. That's a period of fifteen hundred years. And yet the message of the two testaments is one. It's unified again. It's a miracle. How many books are there in the Bible? Anyone know? You can say it out loud. Sixty six. Right. So the Bible is a library of books. Thirty nine Old Testament, twenty seven New Testament books. Now, there's an easy way to remember that. Take the letters of the word old and the letters of the word Testament three and nine and just put them together. You get thirty nine letters of the word new and Testament three and nine multiply three times nine equals twenty seven. 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, 66 books in this library called the Bible. So these 66 books comprise the canon of Scripture. And this is not the gun canon, the C-A-N-O-N, the canon of Scripture. That word means rule or list or standard. So there was a standard or criterion that books had to meet to be the holy word of God, the holy scriptures. And so the church said it had to be given by God. It had to be inspired by God, had the superintendence of the Holy Spirit on them. That that was the the most important criteria. Another one was it must be written by an apostle or someone close to an apostle, a close associate. It had to be received and used in the church and lives changed. And so the early church settled on these 66 meet the criteria. And these are the canon of scripture and the canon is closed. You can't add any more books to it and you can't subtract any from it. But just because you own a Bible or 25 Bibles, in my case, or you have a Bible app on your phone, doesn't mean you're automatically going to be blessed by your Bible. Now we want to get into the text and see what James says. How can I be blessed by my Bible? What, what do I need to do? Here's the first thing he says. I must be receptive in verse 21, he says, receive the word of God with meekness or receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, that reminded me automatically of the parable of the soils that Jesus taught, that there are different kind of soils that produce different kind of crops, really abundant crop, no good crop at all. It's too rocky. It's too thorny, that sort of thing. And Jesus compared that to human hearts. Some people just don't receive the word. They're too shallow, too rocky, too many thorns. And some people have good soil and they receive it deeply. Two people can read a text and one person gets nothing out of it. It's like reading a newspaper in a foreign language, whereas somebody else, boy, they've got good heart, good soil. They're receptive to it. It gets deep in their heart and it changes their lives. James mentions four hearing aids that help us. Be more receptive. Let's look at each one of those. The A fill in is listen up. Listen up. Verse 19 Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let me read a couple of Proverbs. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17:28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. The Bible says a lot about the tongue. And I remember before I was saved, I cussed about every fourth word. It was just a filler word that I just filled into all my sentences. But once I became a Christian, God changed that quickly. And as I became a Christian and was reading through God's word, I came to the book of Proverbs, which talks a lot about the tongue. And I felt very badly for my potty mouth. But it wasn't just cursing that the book of Proverbs addressed, but gossiping and doubt-filled words. Our words are really important. I don't know if it was either Abraham Lincoln or Mark Twain that on that Proverbs seventeen twenty-eight had a famous statement. Better to remain silent and appear a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. And you've heard this. Silence is golden. Right. How many mouths do we have? One mouth. How many ears? Two ears. we got to get that ratio better. Some of us talk twice as much as we listen when we should listen more than we talk. But when we listen often, aren't we just thinking about what we're going to say next, how we're going to refute or rebuke the person who's saying something to us? We're not really listening. Listening is such an important skill in marriage and it's an important skill in growing as a Christian, reading God's word. God will speak to you. He primarily speaks to you through his word. The inspired word of God. So you have your book Bible open or your phone app open and you're reading the Bible every day. Right. Every day you're reading something in God's word. He wants to speak to you. You're reading, reading, reading. And then something just like comes alive. It jumps off the page to you. I have that experience all the time because God wants to speak to you through his word. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So developing a listening ear. Being receptive to what God wants to say to you as you read the word. So important. Listen up. Next thing. The B. Stay calm. See those shirts? Stay calm. Be slow to anger because anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger blocks receptivity in your heart. You can't think straight. You're thinking about revenge. You're planning your strategy to get even. Get rid of anger. It's going to block you hearing God's word. C, clean it up. Clean it up, fella. Verse 21, put away filthiness and wickedness. The sin in your life, got to get rid of it. Throw it off like a stinking garment. Let me use another metaphor. Earwax. Sin is like earwax. It clogs your ears up so you don't hear as well. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So I got to get rid of the sin in my life. I confess it and receive forgiveness. First, John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse. It's so all inclusive. All my sin can be forgiven. I confess it. And the D is humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Verse 21. Receive with meekness. The proud can't hear God because they think they already know it all. And what what can anyone say to them? It's so important we have a teachable spirit when we come to God's word, a receptive heart to hear. Okay, so that's some listening tools, some hearing aids, if you will. Here's a second thing James is saying we need to do. I must reflect on God's word. So I'm I'm receptive to it. I have an open heart. I'm listening for the Holy Spirit to speak to me and then. I reflect on his word. Verses 23 and 24 tell us this. And James there uses the illustration of the mirror. Snow white. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The witch didn't like the answer. It wasn't her. Queen Elizabeth, not the modern version, but the old Queen Elizabeth of old. She had all the mirrors removed from the palace because she didn't like What she was seeing. We don't always like what we're seeing either in the mirror, right? I mean, it tells us the truth about ourselves. This is what you really look like. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's it's tough getting up in the morning and looking at that mirror. An old morning monster is staring back at you. You know, your hair is sticking up. Well, your hair. It takes time to undo the damage of the night. So the mirror reflects what's on the outside. It reflects that, yeah, you've gained a few pounds. The mirror doesn't lie. Now, the Bible is also a mirror. But from the inside, it shows you what's going on in your heart, in your mind. Have you ever seen yourself in the Bible? Hebrews 4.12 for the word of God is living and active, not just an ancient book on the shelf, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of morrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It points out our sin, our motivations, our intentions. Let me give you from the book of James, three practical ways to reflect on the Bible So I read it. I'm listening for the Holy Spirit for something to come alive to me. And now I'm going to reflect on that thing. First thing I do is study. Verse 25 says he looks into the perfect law. And that word looks into is a stronger word than looks into. It means stare intently. It reminds me of the disciples when they ran to the tomb as told to by the women followers And they got to the tomb and they they looked in John 25 through seven and stopping to look in. That's that same word here in James, but it's more like really intently stare. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw a different word, saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. This tells us we've got some eyewitness accounts here. This isn't even just someone passing the story on. This is somebody, John, who was there, who, who wrote it down exactly as it happened. But you could tell the way things are folded and lying there and not in this place, that they were really looking closely and intently how things were laid. It wasn't just a passing glance. So that's how we take the word of God, not a passing glance. We are looking into it. We're investigating it. We're absorbing it. You see God when you look at his word intently. Remember those old 3D pictures, right? You know what I'm talking about? Where you just stare at it for a long time, focused, right? And then something came out of the, an image came out of that, what looks like just a bunch of messed up lines. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't know what those are called. 3D pictures is what I call them. So that's. What I mean by the word of God, you're really looking at it. You've got your pen and paper. You're you're asking questions of the text. How you know, when, what, why, why. All those questions that you learn in journalism class in English class. Ask those questions of the text. Acts 1711 speaks of the Berean Christians. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, right? They were receptive, examining the scriptures. They're reflecting on the scriptures, examining the scriptures. How how often? Daily. To see if these things were so. Second, Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Okay, so you're you're studying it. So what can you do? I would suggest if you don't have a good study Bible, if you're going to purchase one book, you could buy hundreds of commentaries. You can buy books on archaeology, books on maps. You could buy a good, solid, Strong's concordance. Those are all useful tools. But a good study Bible like this ESV study Bible uh, is the one I'm using now. They're, they're very expensive, but you've got a whole library of books in one book. But there's so many good resources online that are free, some free ones, Bible Hub, Net Bible right now, media, which we're encouraging you to use. Uh, If you want to do a study in accordance with James, you could do the Chan study, the Tony Evans study along with it. So lots of good resources to help you study God's word. Second way to reflect is to meditate. Meditate on scripture. James says in verse 25 and perseveres. So you're you're studying it, but you're reflecting on it over and over again. You're thinking about it over and over. So maybe you're wondering, well, that sounds like Eastern religion and their kind of meditation. Right. TM, Transcendental Meditation. No, in Eastern religions, meditation is you empty your mind. In Christianity, you fill your mind. It's the complete opposite. You fill it with God's word. You're like the cow chewing the cud. The cow chews it swallows it, regurgitates it up, chews it some more, swallows it, regurgitates it. Right. You're thinking about it over and over again. You're mulling it over in your mind. We've put this in your bulletins. We're going to do it next week as we begin chapter two. And we're giving you one verse, the Education Commission recommending one verse or a couple verses for each chapter. You won't find that in your bulletin this week. But you already have this, I'm sure, stuck in your Bible. OK, so James 1, 1, 2 through 4. That's that's just a suggestion. Meditate on those verses. Mull them over this month. All right. So that's that's that. All right. Somebody's going to say this morning, I can't meditate. And I would say to you, can you worry? If you can worry, you can meditate. They're the same thing. One is negative thoughts. One is positive thoughts. I don't have time to meditate. I'm much too busy. Do you have time to watch TV? Do you have time for social media? Then you have time to meditate. Remember is the C. Being no hearer who forgets. Man, as you get older, it's so much easier to forget. So I got to memorize. I can't memorize. Impossible. You know what? I know some sports statistics that I don't know why I know them. Like, for instance, I know Ty Cobb's lifetime batting average is 367. Ty Cobb played baseball in the 1920s. And I know this guy's batting average. It's so we've got information up there that we've memorized over the years that we don't even need. It's unnecessary. The word of God is so necessary. I can't memorize. Yeah, you can. But you got to work at it. The Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I got to get it in my heart. When Jesus was in the wilderness, confronted by Satan, tempted by him for 40 days, he said, it is written It is written. It is written. What did he do? He quoted scripture because he memorized it. Studies show that you forget 95 percent of what you hear within 72 hours. And that's so depressing for me as a pastor, because I know by Wednesday you forgot 95 percent of what I said today. So part of the reason for those notes in your Bible that some of you are writing on as you write, that helps that engages another sense That you're writing something down that helps your brain remember it and you review it on Wednesday. Hey, you remember a little bit more, maybe 10 percent. We'll take whatever we can get here. Okay, here's the third thing James tells us. I must obey the word. Really important to have uh, have an open heart and to study God's word. But now I've got to put my mouth where, where it really counts. I got to obey God's word, be doers of the word. Jesus said to be doers of the word, too. In Luke eleven twenty eight, 28. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. John 13, 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you just listen, that's the, our word audit. Listen is audit. Have you ever audited a class? If you've ever audited a class, you get no credit for it. You don't pay anything. You just you have no tests, which is all that's all nice. But that's what it means to just listen. You're just auditing. And I think there are a lot of Christians that are auditing Christianity. They listen. They sit there. But they're not putting it into practice. Richard Gerard says today, every weekend, millions of Christians gather to hear what God has to say without the slightest intention of actually practicing most of what they hear. Most of us are what James was afraid we'd be. Hearers of the word, not doers. The more we hear without doing, the more deeply rooted becomes the habit. This is why going to another church service, listening to another sermon is not going to make most of us better Christians. We've got to do it. There's a famous experiment that was done in an East Coast seminary. Twenty students were involved in this experiment without their knowledge. Ten of the students sat in on a class of listening to the Good Samaritan story from the Bible told. Ten other students in another class didn't hear that story. The experimenters hired an actor to pretend he was a bum, so he was dressed really badly And was laying, acting like he was drunk on the steps outside of the the building. The class ended. Those 20 students passed by the guy laying there in obvious need. 17 of the 20 students walked by without even looking at him or glancing and kept on walking. One student walked by and said, are you okay?" Only two students stopped to help him or ask if he needed help. One from the class listening to the Good Samaritan and one from the other class. I think 10 percent of us Christians really applying the word of God is probably, sadly, about right. The test for maturity as a believer isn't knowledge, it's character. We know a lot, but we're spiritual midgets. We're, We're like aliens, you know, they have the giant heads and the real skinny little bodies. We have a lot of head knowledge. But a lot of us aren't doing what we hear. We're not putting it into practice. So I'm getting older and you're very concerned about me. You say, you look like you're going to pot, Pastor. So here's a book on good nutrition, but it's mostly on bodybuilding. One to get you strong, Pastor. Build up your body. So you you give me this book and you know it's going to take me a while to read it and so forth. So you see me six months later at the grocery store. And I look the same or worse. And so you ask me, Pastor, did you read that book I gave you? Oh, that was a great book. Fantastic book. I studied it. I underlined it. I did word studies. I parsed the verbs. I diagrammed the sentences. But Pastor, you look the same or worse. Didn't you put it into practice? No. We mark in our Bibles... But they don't mark us. We read the living Bible, but we don't live the Bible. It doesn't matter how many times you read through the Bible. Is the Bible getting through you? James says we deceive ourselves. That's possible. I don't want to deceive myself. We think we're Christians, but are we really following Jesus? Verse 25 says he will be blessed in his doing. I want you to be blessed by your Bibles. And I do like hearing at the door. That was a good sermon, Pastor. But you know what I'd rather hear? I put what you said last week into practice this week. And this is what I did. I'll tell you, I would do a cartwheel, jump up and down, give you a big hug and kiss. How are you applying the Bible? So James ends this section By giving us a couple of indicators that you're applying the Bible. And then he's going to go into much more detail and develop these three topics later. So we're going to touch on them as we go. The first thing, am I controlling my tongue? We know he's going to touch on that in James chapter three. It's a little bit scary when we get to that passage. That's going to nail a bunch of us. Okay. so a big way we sin is through our mouth. I got to tell you a quick story about the Welsh revival in the country of Wales. Turn of the 20th century. Great revival broke out there. The coal mines had to shut down temporarily because the miners went to the revival and got saved. And when they got saved, they stopped cussing so much. And all the commands they gave the mules were cuss words. So when they stopped cussing, the mules didn't know what to do anymore. And the mine had to shut down. Hey, it can happen. God can change how we speak. You know, you're making progress when your words begin to change. Here's another indicator I'm making progress. Am I a giver? He talks about visiting orphanages and widows. Am I giving of my time to minister to people? Not just my friends and the people I love hanging out with, but people that are needy, need my care. And am I giving financially to support and help those people? You know, historically, Christians were the ones who built hospitals, who built and ran orphanages. Generosity is a good indicator that I'm growing as a Christian. I find myself more generous. I love to give. And third thing James mentions here in verse 27, am I pure? Am I a person of integrity, of character? I know I'm making progress when I'm sinning less and I'm growing in holiness. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I am so thankful for the word of God. I do love your word and I want everyone out there to love it, too, to read it, to meditate on it, to memorize it. And to do it. Oh, Lord, help us, especially with that last one, to do it. It can be so hard. We're set in our ways. We have our bad habits. But, Lord, you can change us. Your word has the power to change us. Implant your word deeply in our hearts. Or receive it and ponder it and do it, Lord. And we will change and be more like Jesus. That's our prayer this morning. In his name we pray.